and welcome back to Archives of Fabella, the podcast making everyone everywhere go, ooh, this just got dark. If you want more Archives of Fabella, there is more to have in ebook and paperback. I know I've been a bit lax lately on getting these episodes out. Please accept my apologies. I have a complicated relationship with deadlines. It has a lot to do with me trying to squeeze this in between working a full-time job, writing more books, and creating a new podcast episodes like this one. So thanks for being patient. I say it every episode, but Archives of Fabella is about love, war, and life. One of the cruelest lessons to learn about life is that good people can be corrupted. Some of you may be seeing this play out firsthand with a loved one who has been remarkably jaded or shares viewpoints they never would have had years earlier. It's distressing and it breaks a lot of relationships. It's a challenging subject to cover and a timely one. Keeping your moral compass pointed north is necessary to just being human and neglected by too many people. So that's what I'm setting out to cover today. Last episode, I talked about how the Age of Domination is a dark timeline with the darkest evils of the world and complete control. The bad guys have won, and the good guys' moral compass is spinning out of control. Silas Kilgrave might be one person trapped towing the line between good and evil. But he's not the only one, and surely won't be the last. I'm Dylan Foley, and this is Archives of Fabella. Beyond our world, there is love. Beyond our world, there is war. Beyond our world, there is life. Beyond our world, there is Fabella. Grand Vizier Silas Kilgrave was one of the most notable leaders in the Imperial High Command of the Bloodborne Empire during the Age of Domination. He served under Emperor Kronos. Kilgrave was Kronos's most loyal lieutenant until he ultimately turned on the villainous ruler and concocted a plan to assassinate the Emperor. The name Kilgrave normally conjured up images of a cold, brilliant, and ruthless military and political figure. Looking at the character, it's really easy to see how these characteristics were seeded in his early upbringing. By the year 5879, all of Fabella was embroiled in the Continental War. The Bloodborne Empire had risen up in the Eastern Hemisphere of the world as a powerful, militaristic force led by the villainous Emperor Kronos, a dark fawn with muscles on top of muscles. Emperor Kronos towered over everyone who stood in his way. To fall under the gaze of his cobalt blue eyes was to court death. All heroes who tried to stand up to the foul emperor were reduced to piles of ash. Kronos used his power to sweep over the world, 
with leagues of soldiers under his command. Though the name Kilgrave would wind up being linked to Kronos and the Bloodborne Empire, the Kilgrave family of Hercules Fantasia opposed the rise of the Dark Empire. The Kilgraves were harpies, winged bird people who flew about the skies of Fabella. The family was highly venerated in Fantasia society as a long line of generals in the Air Force. The Kilgraves lived in Fantasia for a thousand years, dedicating themselves to expanding Republic reach. The greatest desire was for the name Kilgrave to stand for heroes. Father Reinhold Kilgrave had broken free of his military past to become a respected Aphrodisian preacher in the city, commanding his followers to lead with love in their hearts and practice kindness toward their fellow people. Reinhold and Augusta Kilgrave made a satisfying life for themselves in the Fantasian capital. However, when the Continental War increased its ferocity in the winter of 5879, Reinhold was called to the front to enlist in the Air Force. All of his brothers were dead. Reinhold was the only one who could carry on his family's legacy. Silas was conceived. The night before Reinhold left to fight the Western Alliance, Reinhold died five days later, never having met his son. Silas Kilgrave grew up without a father, continually searching for a male influence. His mother did all that she could to provide her son with guidance he needed to succeed and lead a moral life. For success, she preached, means nothing. If you do not use the luck and grace the Lord has given you for good, do as your father preached and lead with love. And Silas did grow up with love in his heart. Childhood friends and classmates always spoke of him as a kind and decent young harpy. His moral compass continually pointed north. He dedicated himself to following his father's lead and doing what his mother taught him. He led with love the only way a child could. But when he was 13, everything changed. The Bloodborne Empire massacred the Western Alliance in his hometown of Hercules. Kronos had installed generals sympathetic to the Bloodborne regime in the Western Alliance. They sent loyal Fantasians to the front lines so that the Western Alliance's last vestiges dedicated to preserving Fantasia were caught in the middle of two opposing enemy forces. That was the final battle of the Continental War. When the Western Alliance raised the white flag of surrender, all of Fabella fell to Emperor Cronus's hands. When the Age of Domination began in 5892, 13-year-old Silas began attending classes promoting genocide, prejudice, and hate. Silas gradually learned that he should keep his insecurities and weaknesses a secret. He was to project a winning attitude and success in all things. Being kind was for those always destined to be followers. If Silas Kilgrave really wanted to lead, and he did, he would need to be the direct opposite of what his father always preached and his mother's teachings. He would need to be cunning, ruthless, and devious. 
practice deception instead of compassion. That, he was told, was the only way to guarantee a fruitful life. No point in Silas's life was more shrouded in secrecy than his homosexuality. Even from a young age, Silas Kilgrave felt an attraction to other boys. Part of it sprang from his longing for male companionship he never had while growing up. The Bloodborne Empire had strict rules against homosexuality. They sought to instill order. Anything that made a person different or unique was not tolerated. Members of the gay and lesbian community were rounded up and imprisoned as they awaited execution. It was in Silas's best interest to keep his emotions concealed and buried deep down. But he continually pined after a classmate of his named Hollis Roston. Hollis was an elf and Silas's best friend, but he never learned that Silas desperately wanted to be more than just friends. One of the core edicts passed by Emperor Kronos was that everyone should have standard, empire-approved names. Silas was permitted to carry on with his identity, but Hollis had to have his name changed to Harold. He like so many millions in the world, lost his identity. Both boys were enlisted in the Junior Troopers program during their teenage years. Harold never got over losing his identity and struggled to find a way out. He was continually caught trying to escape, but Silas, always a consistent rule follower, not a rule breaker, reminded Harold that the Bloodborne Empire was in control of all of Abella. So, Silas and Harold continued to train together in the Bloodborne military until they were 18. Silas's rule-abiding ways frequently got him in trouble with other boys at the Junior Trooper program. A growing sense of rebellion pushed many boys in the program to break Imperial law and do everything they could to escape the watchful eye of the Imperial military before they all succumbed to darkness. He was singled out as a snitch and pet to his superior officers. The truth of the matter was that Silas kept his eye on youths like Harold, planning to escape for their own benefit, not his. Even in this dark setting, he tried desperately to continually keep his moral compass pointed north and to lead with love. Silas knew what the troublesome boys carelessly ignored. The second they stepped foot out of the shadows cast by the Empire, they would be killed. Silas could do more good for the world the higher he climbed in the military than participating in a rebellion destined to fail and lead to the death of all those involved. Harold was the only rebel who continually understood the danger Silas said would come should he be labeled an outlaw by the Empire. Silas and Harold's mutual companionship and trust in each other remained 
present until the year 5897, when the transport the two were assigned to oversee was attacked by a league of pirates called Stindel Marauders. They took their name after the noted crime boss Rav, Rav Stindel, who led the Marauders in capturing imperial goods. They had no dreams or aspirations of rebellion. They were criminals. Only after that which they could use for their selfish means, and nothing more. Harold recognized the Stindel Marauder's potential to start a rebellion. He never shared his plan to escape with Silas. He never got a chance to. Because Silas, doing the job he was hired to do, shot down the Stindel Marauders after they tried to pilfer a large shipment of cargo. Silas was congratulated for his efforts by the Imperial High Command. Still, his actions came at grave cost to his relationship with Harold. Seeing his one shot at rebellion slip away, Harold made his escape with a group of boys at long last. Many of the boys were killed, just as Silas predicted they would be. Harold found freedom with the last vestiges of the weakened Stindel Marauders. At the moment, he lost his true love. Silas realized the only way that he could assure Harold's safety was to ascend higher in the Imperial Command. He dedicated his life to lead the Empire. Only by siding with the enemy could he bring an end to all the bloodshed and terror wrought by Imperial rule. He would march shoulder to shoulder with Emperor Kronos, then do the one thing so many armies had failed at. Kill the satanic embodiment of evil once and for all. To enact his plan, Silas Kilgrave truly needed to embrace everything he knew about being recognized as a hero. Sadly, it did not involve the sound teachings of his mother. Silas Kilgrave did what he'd been taught to do since he was 13. Erase all signs of compassion in a bid to project strength and power to bend people to his will. I aim to be the harbinger of destruction, preached Silas Kilgrave in a public address to the military, following his success with the Stindel Marauders. All that Fabella once was is gone, and should be turned to ash. An enemy is out there, and we will give them no quarter, no relief, no refuge from our military might. That was only the first of many speeches Silas delivered to the masses. Officers with less remarkable public speaking ability began to rely on him to give lessons they were incapable of providing. He became the youngest cadet ever promoted to the rank of captain in the Air Force. Numerous followers knelt at his talents and dedicated themselves to following his lead. With his new appointment to captain, Silas assumed command of the 85th Squadron, a post he would covet for the rest of his life. The 85th Squadron quickly became known as Kilgrave's Hammer. Meanwhile, Harold was successful in reorganizing the Stendhal Marauders into a fighting force. They struck more military cargo ships to amass a store of weapons they hoped to arm the rebellion. Silas continually worked to stop Harold's crew from finding success with their missions. Squadron members of Kilgrave's Hammer had standing orders to capture Harold and deliver him to Silas alive. 
at which point Silas would allow Harold to escape from prison before he was due to stand trial. If Harold and the marauders grew too powerful, Silas would be unable to save the life of his love and friend. So Kilgrave's hammer was called upon to keep the marauders stuck and little more than a public nuisance. Silas even went so far as to discreetly provide Harold pirate competition with weapons so that they would rise to more prominence against the Empire and he would receive more accolades from top commanders when he stopped them. Silas's plan worked, and with each rebellion he squashed, he climbed closer to his goal. Even with all Silas Kilgrave's lessons, he still had yet to face Emperor Kronos. The two didn't meet until a banquet for the Imperial High Command brought them together. Silas delivered such a rousing, impassioned speech to the assembled guests. Kronos made it a point to introduce himself personally to the captain he had heard so much about. This was precisely what Silas wanted. Like a spider, he waited until his prey became ensnared in his web of deceit. Emperor Kronos had come to Silas, not the other way around. It had to be the satanic emperor's choice to invite Silas Kilgrave into his inner circle. Only then could Silas be assured his moment to strike would come without warning. The most remarkable thing about Emperor Kronos was the way he marched about with no security. The enigmatic ruler did not have a squad of bodyguards at his call to act if his life was ever in terrible danger. He continually strut about without fear of being attacked. Appearances could still be deceiving though. So Silas remained in wait, planning, watching, and evaluating the bold emperor's every move. As time went by, Emperor Kronos actually sought out Silas. As the two of them launched into regular conversations, Kronos became aware of how politically insightful Silas was. Although he remained with the military, Silas was formally made a deputy advisor to Emperor Kronos. He was awarded a firm place in the Imperial High Command. In his role as deputy advisor, Silas and Kronos grew closer than ever before. In his journals, Kronos noted how he considered Silas akin to a son. Silas likewise grew to see Kronos as the father he never had. Silas continually encouraged Kronos to react aggressively in situations that did not call for harsh actions. His chief responsibility was reporting on the progress of eliminating the pirate menace to the Grand Vizier Nestor Forsyth. He also worked closely with Anubis and Tefnut, two of the most well-known villains in the world of Fabella. Of the three of them, Silas displayed the most friction with Anubis. Anubis was a disgraced sentinel, who functioned mostly as an independent mercenary for hire. One such occasion found Silas partnered with Anubis to locate and eliminate noted sentinel Toth, who was hiding out in former Unitesia. The Unitesians would not hand over Toth, so Anubis and Silas put the entire area into lockdown. 
Emperor Kronos ordered the two of them to make an example of the region to the world for the price of defiance. Anubis argued that there was a non-military way to flush Toth out of hiding. Anubis's romantic history with Toth's sister, Bastet, also rumored to be in the area and highly sought after by the Empire, was well documented. So, his views could not be trusted. Silas bombarded Unitesia with a three-day artillery assault. Silas argued heavily against Anubis' inclusion, calling him a liability. Toth was essential to the Empire due to his mastery of technology and magical physics. The warship Silas planned to land in the Unitesian capital of Hiramidus were destroyed. In the immediate aftermath of the incident, it was unclear if this resulted from an attack, sabotage, or malfunction. Toth and Bastet were able to escape during the confusion. Silas ordered Anubis to be apprehended on assault charges and conspiracy to commit treason. Emperor Kronos left Anubis's fate up to the Imperial High Court, who concluded that Anubis was not guilty. Meanwhile, Kilgrave's hammer began to target former pirate bases in the hopes of pacifying any uprising. Silas went a solid decade without hearing news on Harold's whereabouts and believed him to be dead. In his grief, Silas slipped further into the depths of the dark side to distance Silas from the controversial event Regarding Anubis' suspected treason, the Emperor assigned him to pacification operations in his hometown of Hercules. Pacification operations regularly found Silas breaking up small bands of marauders within the city limits. Silas Kilgrave created a terrifying persona for the next five years while plotting to overthrow Grand Vizier Forsyth. Under Silas's reign, citizens of Hercules were ordered to destroy all books and historical relics. Emperor Kronos sought to erase Fabellan history so the future generations would grow up not knowing what they lost or where they came from. Kronos aimed to pave over the past with his own interpretation to further cement his place as a living god. While in command of Hercules, Silas found evidence of the fawn Emperor Kronos had been before he rose to power. Years ago, Kronos had been recognized as a teacher in St. Terra's School of Magical Arts and Sciences. He'd been a hero known as Emmet. Furthermore, historical records indicated that Emmet had been alive for years, possibly since the beginning of time itself. No reason for how Emmet managed to live so long was discovered. Silas's best guess was that he managed to elongate his life, like Anubis, Toth, and Bastet had done before him. Nothing Silas read ever indicated Emmet, and by extension, Emperor Kronos could not be killed by traditional means. Silas's continued research into the enigmatic character and nature of Kronos's past happened to coincide with the arrival of Grand Vizier Forsyth. Forsyth discovered Silas's study and prepared to share it with the Emperor. But this was all a trap. 
Silas had laid for the Grand Vizier. As Forsyth went to Kronos to inform him of Silas's unlawful actions, Silas had already shifted the blame to Forsyth in Kronos' eyes. Forsyth was summarily executed for his perceived treachery, elevating Silas to the rank of Grand Vizier. Silas had finally achieved what he set out to do. He'd ascended in a position to a post that had him rubbing shoulders with a living god. He promised not to fail his master. Following his promotion, Silas gave lengthy interviews to the media advocating for a military that would march on the other universes of Earth and Arentium making the Empire the dominant force of the multiverse. Silas undertook many responsibilities in seeing that every city in the former Fantasian Republic operated at peak efficiency. He warned that failure to comply would not be tolerated. One day, one of Silas's officers of Kilgrave's Hammer alerted him that a pirate had been caught. When Silas inquired as to why the apprehended pirate had not been killed, the officer responded that they had standing orders to deliver this particular pirate to Silas alive. At that moment, he knew it was Harold. Silas couldn't bring himself to see the elf he spent years thinking about. Harold couldn't see him as the Grand Vizier who had descended so far away from the light. He gave orders for Harold to remain in prison. Meanwhile, a rumor spread that Toth and Bastet were in Hercules. Rather than launch a mission to kill the Parasentinels, Emperor Kronos gave the order to bomb Hercules. Silas argued against the order. After all, Hercules was his hometown. Kronos refused to yield. Desperate to save Harold from the upcoming onslaught, Silas gave the order to have Harold transported to an air battleship away from danger. Before Silas received confirmation that Harold was safe aboard the aircraft, the bombing started. The first deliberate air raids on Hercules were mainly aimed at Port Lafleur, causing severe damage. Late in the afternoon of Cancer 16th, 5934, the Empire bombardment began. A total of 400 bombers and 500 airboats took part in the attack led by Kilgrave's hammer. Although the weather was low, massive raids took place that afternoon in the suburbs. Over the next few days, the temperature was extremely low, and the next main effort would not be made until the 28th of Cancer. That made two, they made two, massive daylight attacks on Hercules along the Bashara River targeting the city's docks and rail communications. On Gemini 2nd, the most massive night attack to date saw 1,000 Imperial bombers hit Hercules. Around 2,000 people were killed and another 700 injured. About 500 fires were started in the mix of high explosives and incendiaries dropped. 9,000 bombs were dropped that month, about 10% in daylight, over 6,000 on Hercules during the night. Imperial policy at this point 
was primarily to continue progressive attacks on Hercules, chiefly by night attack, to interfere with any escape that could be made by Toth and Bastet. But the rumor stating that Toth and Bastet were in Hercules was actually false. They weren't anywhere near the city. So all this work and bombing the city was all for naught. The bombing finally ended in Gemini 7th, when all Imperial battleships laying siege to Hercules experienced what officers called collective mechanical failure. All the battleships were suddenly and mysteriously incapable of discharging their payloads. Imperial mechanical specialists scrambled to resolve the problem. Meanwhile, Silas was ordered to land infantry units on Hercules and open fire on the citizens. When Silas landed on the smoldering remains of his home, he saw the devastation and death with his own two eyes. Virtually nothing was left. The old presidential palace on the grounds of St. Tara's Academy of Magic and Science had been obliterated down to the foundation. His own childhood home lay in ruins. Descriptions from soldiers on the field spoke of entire piles of bodies set aflame and streets littered with the dead. On Emperor Kronos's orders, Silas had destroyed everything that made him the harpy he was. Silas was only on Hercules for one hour before he decided to fly back to the air battle cruiser, the BBC Resolution. He wasted no time traveling to Harold's cell, only to find that Harold had killed himself by using a makeshift shiv to slit his throat. Silas never got the chance to apologize for these actions or to confess his feelings to the person he loved throughout his life. A defeated Silas fell to his knees and wept. When he finally pulled his tear-streaked face up from the pit of despair, Silas knew there was no time to waste. With his wand clenched in his hands, he flew up to the bridge of the BBC Resolution, where he knew Emperor Kronos would be waiting without a word to the dictator. Silas opened fire with a killing curse, hitting Emperor Kronos directly in the chest. However... Emperor Kronos never fell. The killing curse disappeared inside his chest without any damage or effect at all. Only then did Silas learn one crucial piece of information he'd overlooked in his research. Emperor Kronos was immortal. All of a sudden, the missing pieces Silas had always been confused about fell into place. Why did Emperor Kronos never age? Why didn't he surround himself with a security team? Why did he never wear any protective gear? Silas only had a split second to ask these questions because Emperor Kronos pivoted on the spot and returned a crippling curse. Silas Kilgrave died, screaming at the top of his lungs. He had the chance to lead with love, and instead 
spent most of his life doing the exact opposite. Silas Kilgrave wasn't anyone whose life should be modeled. He was an example of someone who, despite their best intentions, failed because they didn't take the time to learn and do their research. That's going to do it for us today. Books are available on Amazon in ebook and paperback if you would like to continue with the story. Archives of Fabella is created, hosted, and edited by Dylan Foley, with music by Garrett Ferris and Audioblocks. As always, look outside of what is possible and think about what might be.